I'm Quarter Pounder with Cheese, and welcome to Mick Planet of the McMeerkats. And I'm Richard Jalapeno. And I'm Professor Mouse. We have a guest today, Professor Mouse. Dave, do you want to introduce Professor Mouse? Sure. Professor Mouse is my daughter, Abigail. She's 11 and uh, is in the sixth grade. Is she a robot expert? Uh, she is a rob robot connoisseur. So my number one personal experience with a robot is with our Roomba. Roomba is a bad Roomba. Any opportunity that Roomba uh, has to get inside of the fireplace, she will definitely do it. So we have to like put up like a baby cage around the fireplace. Planet of You know, we had a, uh, a an automated robot. It was a, like an off-brand Roomba for a while. And it was fine, but my family likes to leave their socks out <laughs> on the floor in random spots. It would always choke on the socks. <laughs> And so I was always getting mad and being like, here's your sock. You know, if you feed it socks, it will, it, it like tamed, tamed its appetite a bit. Yeah, I ended up getting one of those cordless Dysons. And that's, mm -hmm. I like that mm -hmm. one. Cordless Dyson. It's like the Rolls Royce of uh, automated vacuums. <laughs> so we're talking about robots today. Can I say my favorite robot? I think we all can have the opportunity to talk about our favorite robots. And I hope one of your favorite robots is that killer robot that the Boston Dynamics people are obviously making to take over the world. I don't know what that is. I think we should all we should all publicly pledge our fealty to that robot before it gets too powerful. So that way when it takes over the world, we can be like, hey, boy, back when we were we were with you, man. Yeah, we you know, we were early supporters of you. Um, you know, I donated to <laughs> To your robot campaign. <laughs> the robot Kickstarter. The robot Kickstarter. <laughs> Early backer, I got the t-shirt. Anyway, we have a we have a full slate of topics today. So I think to kick off this episode, I have a very important question for you, Richard Jalapeno, and that is what is a robot? You know, the the definition of robot has been it kind of has changed a lot. The the first instance of the word robot being used was in a plane called a play called R U R. Written, written by Carol Capek back in 1920. And the word robot actually is derived from the Czech word for slave. Oh, interesting. And a lot of the tropes that we have, uh, that we've learned about, or sorry, a lot of the tropes that have kind of seeped into the public consciousness through other movies and things come directly from that play. You know, it was written in 1920. <laughs> so there, there's some issues. I mean, but this one, the main character is a woman who comes to talk to the people who are making these robots because she wants to make them equal. And as soon as she shows up, they're like, will you marry me? And she's like, no, I just met you. He's like, will you marry one of the other scientists? And uh, it cuts to 10 years forward and she's married to him because she's a woman. She has decided that on her own, she went to one of the guys and was like, can you program the robots so they can be aggravated? I think that'll make them more human. Um, and then it cuts forward a little bit more and the robots have taken over the world and killed all the humans. Apparently, there is some instructions written by the guy who invented the robots that were like the secret sauce for how to make robots. And she burned it. And because she burned it, the the robot, they didn't have any leverage. So the robots killed everybody. But they also couldn't reproduce. And so at the end of the play, there's two robots that uh, one named after her and one named Primus who fall in love. And it's kind of implied that they're going to go procreate somehow. If these so if these robots look kind of like human, were they supposed to be like the prototypes for Cybermen from from Doctor Who? Except they 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 weren't ever humans, um, which I think is the big difference between them and Cybermen. And they don't want to turn people into robots; they just want to kill people. What is what is their motivation? I mean, I think that 
you know, the motivations for robots have differed throughout the course of science fiction and w why they want to dominate. Maybe they're aggravated, they got aggravation as, a, as an emotion, or they should be slaves to people. Yeah, the, the fact that they're programmed to be able to be aggravated. So in, in essence, from the perspective of the story, as soon as they uh, get that emotion, they gain a soul. And as soon as they gain a soul, they start to resent their human creators because they, they see themselves as being subjugated and enslaved, even though they're more powerful and smarter, which again, sounds a lot like a lot, a lot like a lot of the other robot movies and things that we see nowadays. It's a, it's a, a trope that's been repeated and repeated and repeated. Can you think of a movie where there's robots proliferate to the point where they have the power to dominate the world and yet they choose not to? Um, I think I, even though it's totally kind of like unrelated, I feel like Wally totally could have taken over the world, even though there was no one there anymore. He totally could have. He was like the last. That's a good one, Abigail. Well, the, the other story I read for this podcast is called I Have No Mouth, But I Must Scream. And this was by far the darkest, bleakest story I've ever read in my entire life. And I've read a lot of stuff. <laughs> Well, <clears throat> bleaker than, than what we talked about a few episodes back about um, some of the um, Junji Ito manga. Bleaker than that even, huh? Yeah, it was ter ter terribly bleak. Uh, so in the story, it's sort of a continuation of the theme. Humans make robots. Robots do everything for humans. And they gain uh, sentience. But they're frustrated because they don't have the ability to be creative. And so the emotion that they develop is hate. And they grow to hate people. And they kill everybody except for five people. So kind of like Bender from Futurama. <laughs> yeah, except they're actually successful. And they don't like beer. They're not likable at all. <laughs> uh, so with these five people, it's essentially they constantly torture them and keep them alive. So when the story starts, they've been alive for 119 years. One of the guys has been transformed into a gorilla with a giant dong. Uh, and he used to be a college professor. One of the uh, one of them is uh, used to be a woman who was like really chaste, and now she's you know forced to have sex with all the other guys every day. And the the story as the story goes on, the main character realizes the only way out is death. So he ends up killing four, three of the other people, or four the the other four people, and this enrages the the robot. Who then turns into like a gelatinous cube that can't be killed, just multiplied. Yeah, it, it can't it can't be cube or expressed anything. And the final line of the story is, "I have no mouth, but I must scream." And it's implied that he's going to live forever in this gelatinous state. He turned into Jello, <laughs> ever quaking with rage, but unable to find respite. <laughs> so I mean, it, I, I mean, I think you know th th this plays into you know one of my favorite robots, which is. Marvin the Paranoid Android from Hitchhiker's Guide. And, you know, he's extremely bored. And he doesn't do anything about being bored, but he's always talking about his how his brain's the size of a planet, but they have him like fetching teeth. He's probably my fourth favorite robot. Okay, Abigail, what are your what are your what are your favorite robots? Okay, so number one on the list is GLaDOS from the Portal Games. I'll explain I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um number two is probably like Bender Vichurama. Number three is probably Wheatley from also from Portal Two, and number four is probably Marvin the Paranoid Android. Well, I don't think he's paranoid or an android, right? He's he's just pretty much a straight up robot, and he's yeah, he's just really bored. He's not really paranoid. Oh yeah, and Wally's number five. So, so Abigail, explain ex explain Glados to us. Why is Glados your favorite robot? 
Okay, um, my opinion, Gladys, if anyone, if anyone has pl played or at least, like, watched someone play either of the Portal games, you'll know Gladys is the main antagonist in the first one, and kind of the main antagonist in the second one, but it builds up a lot of stuff about her in the second one. Uh, I can't remember what GLaDOS stands for, but it's an acronym. But uh, yeah, in the first game, she's essentially runs a testing lab where you have this cool portal gun that'll let you transport from place to place. And it's making you run through puzzles, even though that everybody else in the lab is dead. <laughs> yeah, literally everyone else is dead. So, uh, so the beginning of Portal 1, you wake up in a room, and Gladys is like, okay, time to test. You test a bunch. You find your way to where, like, the room she 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 lives in. You kill her, and then that's the end of the set. That's the end of the first game. Well, let's not run through the whole game. It's enough to know that it's fifty thousand years in the future. You got the portal gun again, and you're being helped by another robot. Let's let's get into Asimov because I think this is a topic you wanted to discuss. Sure, Asimov and the three laws of robotics. So there are a massive amount of books and stories about Asimov's robots. The most famous one being iRobot, which was made into a Will Smith movie. Who's coming to, coming to be one of our most referenced uh, celebrities in this podcast. So there, As, Asimov invented three laws. The first law is that robots can't injure a human being or through an action allow a human to come to harm. Uh, the second law is that they have to obey orders unless it conflicts with the first law. And the third law is that it should perfect its own, its own existence as long as it doesn't interfere with laws one and two. You know, he does a lot of exploration on this and it even, it even dovetails into his other big series foundation and he builds this huge, huge universe. But I think he um, has done a lot for sort of, he, he sort of set the baseline for AI ethics. Um, and even though these laws, you know, aren't nearly as detailed as what you would need to do to actually program an AI, uh, they sort of have, have have been the the basis of the conversation about AI ethics. Like just going deeper into that is the the fear of robots uh, may stem from the fact that we we can only control that process. The fear that robots will develop their own sentience and dis disregard those ethics. The time to control that process is when we're creating them. Because after they're created, it may be too late if we don't do it right. You know, and, you know that's kind of thinking beyond sort of robots and going into AI. But the two are definitely interlinked. I mean, it, it gets back to that definition of robots and like is I think we're we're going to talk about Hal from uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey and the question of whether Hal is a robot. And Hal is definitely an AI. Now, Abigail, Neil, all three of us watched Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. <laughs> I was a little bit confused. Both me and Dad made fun of it. Yeah, we we pulled an MST3K on it, which actually you know goes into another set of our favorite robots, which are Tom Servo, Crow, Gypsy, and Cambot. I think I believe it's it's Crow. You're right. <laughs> so Abigail, what were your thoughts on Mecha Godzilla? Uh, it was a little bit of a weird movie. Sound didn't really make sense, and I thought it was really funny that they just drew like the little effects onto the film. Well, Abigail, you've never lived through a time in your life where there wasn't CGI. That's true. I mean, I know that movie, some movies don't have that, but like, I'm just so used to them having it. Well, mo movies throughout the whole history of film, like up until you know the 90s, relied on uh, sort of practical effects, non-CGI, and, and it was like that was that was like state of the art in the 70s. 
to st- take a step back and explain uh, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, this this is I don't know maybe Godzilla number twenty. I don't know how many Godzillas came before this, but this was came out in nineteen seventy four. Uh, it's set in Okinawa, and it's a very complicated plot. But essentially, uh, aliens from uh, Black Hole Planet Three are attempting to take over the Earth through the use of Mechagodzilla, which for some reason is like I don't know why the why this creature has to resemble Godzilla, but there's a complicated ruse by which Mechagodzilla comes out of uh, Mount Fuji, so everyone thinks it's Godzilla, but it's not. That's why I think we had to supply our own commentary because it was just begging for shows. So this, so if they wanted to make a powerful robot that could beat Godzilla, don't make a giant, a little more powerful Mecha Godzilla. Make a giant, really powerful King Caesar. It's like a giant Ewok. <laughs> In Okinawa, they have um, this like little lion statue that people will have in front of their house. It's called the Shisa, and it's it's kind of like it came from uh china these sort of like you know dragon sculptures and that in turn um came from india where they well i guess it wasn't a dragon sculpture it was a lion sculpture and that in turn came from india where they actually have sort of Asi- asiatic lions who live there and so the sculpture looks really weird because it's it's uh, been interpreted by people who've never actually seen a lion king caesar obviously looks more like a dog but he's supposed to be a lion he's based off of this uh, these and the name Caesar is, I guess, like a bastardization of the word Caesar. Interestingly enough, you're talking about like the bastardization of different words. Uh, Godzilla is a, is from a combination of two words, one meaning gorilla, the other one meaning whale. So Godzilla is quite literally a gorilla whale. <laughs> if Godzilla came out of the ocean, does that mean Godzilla knows Cthulhu? Maybe. I don't think he ever fought Cthulhu, but... Not fought, just knows. Like maybe they're buds. All right, Abigail. Well, thank you for being on the show today. We're going to move on to a lot of other, a lot of other robots. But I will talk to you later. Thank you, Professor Mouse. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. Let's transition to a discussion of our favorite movie and TV robots. Dave, what what's your favorite? Oh man, I think my favorite is probably, uh, honestly, it's the Terminator. Such a classic design, right? Now, I have some logical problems with the Terminator. Uh, when they were writing the first Terminator, they were going to cast Lance Hendrickson really? as the Terminator. And they eventually cast him as a police officer. But I thought, you know, that would make a lot more sense. You don't want to cast li- the literal Mr. Universe. I mean, he raises eyebrows when he walks somewhere. Uh, <laughs> you want to cast a dude that's going to be like able to blend into the crowd. Yeah, Arnold definitely does, makes an interest, entrance in this movie, right? He appears and he's naked and like jacked. And people are like, how are you not going to notice that? You're like, something's wrong. But uh, I really like, well, especially Terminator 2. I mean, the other movies I don't like nearly as much, but I think Terminator 2 is just a great movie. Yeah, so I think I think the T-1000 for me, I, I, I really enjoyed the original Terminator, but when Terminator 2 came out, that was like a whole other level. Like the the T-1000 was, like, terrifying. Well, getting back to CG effects, I mean, that was one of the, after the Abyss, one of the big intros of uh, uh, widespread CG effects in the movies. I remember, I remember seeing so many TV specials, like, about how it was done. Well, it was one of those, like, the first times it was done really well, right? Like, where you yeah. you really, you could, 
you knew it was CG, but like if you were <laughs> so stupid, but if like you were an alien that showed up on Earth and you were watching Terminator 2, you'd be like, there are people that are made of metal. Like it's <laughs> believable. <laughs> like, man, we got to stay away from those guys. <laughs> I think Johnny Five for me is always going to be one of my favorites. Johnny Five from Short Circuit. He was alive. Just don't disassemble him. Yeah, so the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz, you don't really think of him as a robot, but really he is. He's made of metal. He's looking for his heart. Yeah. I, I would not have had that one on my list. What about uh, Voltron? Would you consider Voltron a robot? You know, that's a good question because he's piloted by like five people, right? Yeah. And they each ostensibly have control over their, quote, lions. Mm-hmm. Um. And I would just say it would be terrifying to be in like the arm lion with it swinging a sword. <laughs> but they also make clear that Voltron sort of has power of his own, right? Yeah, like once they form, then Voltron becomes like a sentient being, right? Yeah. Their whole job is to like get get the pieces together, which begs the question, why if Voltron has so much power to be this awesome warrior, why couldn't Voltron have designed itself to like function without these five pilots? but I digress. <laughs> uh, Iron Giant's a classic. RoboCop's one of those things where it, uh, you know, we we combine a person with a robot. Because RoboCop is not an android per se. Yeah. It's like an exoskeleton sort of, correct? And that, yeah, and that concept for me always kind of hovers on the, the edge of horror. Like, I don't want to become part, part robot. I have a question about RoboCop, though. Do you like? I haven't seen that movie in a long time, and I honestly have forgotten. Did 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 he give his consent to becoming a robot, or was that they they saved his life and turned him into a robot? Now, I watched it a couple years ago. He is blown up with a grenade, and they have this experimental program that they're waiting for a cop. And so he was a good cop that was blown up with a grenade. So they're like, we'll use him, and so they combine him with all the robot parts. And he doesn't know who he is, and nobody knows that he's, you know, the former cop Murphy. Yeah, you wake up one day and you're, you you you've been turned into the most badass robot cop ever, and you're like, no, but actually, it's kind of cool. R two D two and C three PO. I mean, they're probably the most likable, well known robots, right? Even though they're droids, which is a little bit different. They just kind of take it for granted in Star Wars that droids can have intelligence, although everybody seems to dismiss them as being you know worth saving what about ig11 ig11 the nanny bot from the mandalorian, mandalorian. Oh, that, that was that was a great robot i remember seeing empire strikes back and when darth vader is hiring all of the bounty hunters there's ig88 and i was like whoa that's cool looking um and so ig11 looks exactly like ig88 you kind of got to see in, in an action so it goes from being uh you know a murder machine being a babysitter i think that was like really well done in the way that they they made you really have an emotional connection to this robot i think oftentimes like we've talked about throughout this podcast now you're you're made to fear robots and they've sort of flipped the script on that one so with with like c3po and ig88 it kind of comes to one of my big questions about robots why make them look like humans Mm mm-hmm Right. A human seems like a really inefficient shape for a robot. We have all of these things that we do with our body that a robot's never going to have to do. Um, and so, I mean, and you're seeing that with a lot of the robots that are made now, you know, they're really specialized to their role. But like, you know, you said you watch Blade Runner, right? Make, why make 
these replicants look exactly like humans if you're not going to treat them like humans. It seems just like a recipe for disaster. Definitely. Blade Runner brings up a lot of very interesting topics, one of which we've already sort of addressed here, which is the, I mean, the whole the whole sort of like premise of the original Blade Runner is that these, these replicants um, are deemed dangerous once they discover their emotions, right? So the idea is like mm-hmm. they have to be kept emotionless and therefore controllable. The only way to tell the difference is this really complicated test. <laughs> But in all functional purposes, they're humans, right? And the only reason that they can't become human is we prevent them from doing so. This was, Billy Blade Runner was made before CAPTCHA was invented, but we should just have them read squiggly letters. Can you can you tell which, which of these nine squares is a crosswalk? <laughs> oh, you missed one, you must be a robot. <laughs> oh, I, have, I have failed to prove myself as a human many times. What I don't, explain this to me, like the new CAPTCHA where you don't have to do anything besides click that box. How does that work, Dave? You know, I've always, I don't know, but I've always assumed it has to do with like <laughs> the way the mouse moves before it clicks the button. And so I try to, <laughs> like, it's a squiggly ass line. It knows it's a human. <laughs> I always, when I'm doing those, I always try and move my mouse in a human way. I'm like, a robot would go directly to it, but I'm going to do like an arc and I'm going to jiggle a little, a little bit before I do it. <laughs> I'm going to draw a little dinosaur with my mouse first. Yeah. <laughs> if it's too precise, they're going to find me out. Other other robots that look like humans, uh, we can't forget Data. Oh, man. Well, and he was a good one, right? Yeah. He, like, he looked like a human. He wanted to be human. And no matter how badly we treated him, he was still you know down to party with us. Man, Data was the best. I, I Data had to like deal with so many um, microaggressions, too. Like He never quite was accepted as a human, and he yearned so or so bad and and everyone was like so nice to him in general but it was also kind of like your data he could never <laughs> achieve the thing you wanted most yeah so that was a theme in star trek the doctor from voyager he wasn't strictly speaking a robot but sort of had the same the same journey that's really like the hologram idea is interesting because while not a robot he, there are mechanical parts which like are necessary to create the appearance of the of the body so in a way, it's still a robot. So, so honestly, I think the uh, the main reason people would want to make robots look human, like if you're really getting down to brass tacks, is for sex, <laughs> <laughs> right? So you have uh, like in the movie AI, Jiggle like Joe, <laughs> <laughs> and you know that I think that's that's going to kind of be the natural the natural. The natural endpoint for human human looking robots. Well, just one more note on Star Trek. I mean, the um, the holodeck, right? <laughs> talked about we we've talked about this in the past. I don't know if we've addressed it on the on the podcast yet, but the holodeck is really for sex. And and Deep Space Nine, I think, basically just goes there. Well, and in the, in the new show Lower Decks, which is sort of a animated Star Trek comedy, at one point the uh, the main character is made to clean out the holodeck filters. And <laughs> it's implied that, you know, it's essentially she's a jizz mopper. Oh, my God. But, you know, like, I think it'd be a bad idea to put those on a starship. You know, that's exactly what people would want to do 24-7. I mean, people are really, really bad at making rational decisions about things like that. So you, you mentioned CAPTCHA earlier, and there's a couple other tests. So we mentioned the Voight comp test from Blade Runner. And then uh, in our show notes, you also reference the Turing test. So um, all of these tests 
the idea is to determine whether someone is or is not a robot. But the Turing test is interesting because, am I wrong here? It was recently broken, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it was, you know, it was conceived back in, I think, the 40s by Alan Turing, uh, who was a computer scientist in the UK. And he's the one that broke the Nazi Enigma machines. You know, the idea was if a human, if a robot or an AI can fool somebody into thinking that it's human and if it's no longer distinguishable, is it a human? And I think the question that it was begging was, you know, it's, it stances, well, there's not really a point in answering that question at that point because they're the same. Um, and, you know, ro a ro AIs have been able to, you know, not only beat humans at chess, but now they can beat them at the game Go, which is a much bigger deal because there's a lot more variables to consider when you're playing that. Can they beat them at baseball? And have you seen the new Strokes video, which is the Strokes playing a robot baseball team? So do they have to be in human form? Because if I could see myself making, or not myself, but I could see us making a robot that was perfectly suited to playing baseball. And it would always be able to like hit the ball at the same spot every time. It would run the bases. Um, it would, you know, catch the ball in a little hole in its head and then shoot it back out precisely at whatever baseman needed it. Um, I saw there was a video that was online the other day of a, a volleyball training robot. And it essentially was on wheels and it was just two arms sticking in the air. And the idea was to be able to hit the ball over the net. And it was constantly going back and forth and like slapping at the ball. But it didn't look anything like a human. You know, it was a robot specifically for volleyball. I love I love this idea. Let's just create all these new robots perfectly suited to play sports only. So like a, ro a robot that was programmed to do dressage, would they be like snooty? Would they even need the horse? I need a robot that will only peel garlic for me. That's like the number one thing that I hate as a human. <laughs> it's like garlic and humans were not compatible. Well, it's, uh, you know, it goes back to robots getting bored. In the show Rick and Morty, Rick creates a butter passing robot. And <laughs> the, 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 the robot's like, what is my purpose? And he goes, you pass butter. <laughs> and you just see the, the robot is just so, super sad. You have a purpose. Be okay. It's a limited purpose, but that's okay. It's better to, than most you know, most people out there. So before we move on, we, we, you made a awesome playlist and this is becoming a recurring segment on, on Planet of the Meerkats where we make playlists. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to know more about the robot testicles from the Transformers <laughs> movies because I haven't, I haven't seen any of the new Transformers movies because I'm kind of anti-Michael Bay, but, but why don't you enlighten us about this? Well, and I, I'm not pro-Michael Bay either. But there was one of the Transformer movies. I don't know if you remember from when we were kids in the cartoon, there was like the Constructobots or whatever. And it was a bunch of smaller robots that looked like construction vehicles. And they would form a giant Constructagon. I don't know. A la yeah. Voltron. Uh, well, they had that in one of the Transformer movies. And at one point, <laughs> the, the, the robots are all fighting <laughs> over, over the Egyptian pyramids. And the robots pass overhead. And there's these two robots that are there for comic relief. And they have, they're sort of like jive talking racist robots. Uh, and as it goes overhead, it's, there's a clear shot of there's two like wrecking balls hanging from between the robot's legs. And it's implied that these are robot testicles. So it comes back to the question, like, what does a robot need testicles for? Well, you know what? People give their their pickup trucks truck nuts, so it's the same <laughs> thing, right? It's all just 
it's a, an expression of, of um, desire for masculinity. I've, I mean, I don't think Transformers holds up to scrutiny much anyways. I mean, why are they on Earth in the first place? Why do they disguise themselves as trucks? And You know, I, this is something that's bothered me. I'm going I'm to go on a tangent away from robots specifically. This is something that's bothered me for a while. Like after um, Wonder Woman 84 came out, there, there have been all these articles about how Chris Pine's character coming back to life is like people trying to poke holes in the, you know, the, the rationale behind it and is it ethical and everything. And it's like, why, why at this point do we have to like, like it's a science fiction movie. It's a comic book movie. Things just happen. Why do we need to figure out the rationale behind it? Just accept it. And in the same note, you can just have truck nuts on a, on a transformer. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's just an artistic expression. So, so I would say that, the the better the movie is, the better written it is, the less that stuff matters. Uh, you know, Wonder Woman 84 was only, for me, an okay movie. And so as you're watching it, these questions start to pop up in your head. And the Transformer movies were straight up terrible. I mean, here's the thing, though. Like, I think I think it's, I, like, all the stuff is room for fodder, right? It's fun to, like, bring it up and talk about it. But I think it's the tenor of these articles. They're written so seriously. It's like, we need to talk about the ethics of Chris Pine inhabiting another man's body. And it's like... <laughs> It didn't really happen. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> back to Chris Pine. Second episode we reference Chris Pine. Yeah. If you want, a, if you want Chris Pine, Chris Pine's head on the body of an elk, and if you want that on a coaster, you've come to the right place. Yep. We're gonna we're gonna create a bestiary of Chris's just for our listeners. What what should we put Chris Pratt on? Let's make Chris Pratt as a pair of truck nuts. <laughs> I want to talk about. Uh, one song in particular is Transformer Man, by, Transformer Man by Neil Young. So Neil Young was one of my dad's favorite artists, and I'm actually named after him. I had no idea. That's awesome. Yeah. This song is not not technically about a robot, but it's it's actually about how he used technology to like communicate better with his... I think his son had... Uh, did he have cerebral palsy? I don't remember what exactly was the issue, but... It was kind of, it's a very sweet song. It's about a father's quest to communicate better with a son that he has trouble communicating with. Wow, I took the, I really took it down there, didn't I? No, that's, that's good. That, that was really interesting. I, I had always assumed you were named, named after Neil Peart. Neil Peart. So. Yeah. Neil, Neil Young's <laughs> better to be named after. Neil Sadaka, Dave. I was named after Neil. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of my favorite robot songs is Yoshimi. Yeah, I think robots by the oh, man, lips. so good. And another favorite of mine is the 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 robots song by Flight of the Concords, which really kind of distills the the robot the robot journey into a song really effectively, and it's hilarious at the same time. We have the Kraftwerk song, the Man Machine, on here. I love this whole album, and I think it's I just love like the sort of musical journey of Kraftwerk. They sort of mid career kind of hit on what became like their kind of defining sound, but um, they actually like created instruments that better achieved this sort of mechanical robotic sound that they were after. Um, and I think their, their sort of thesis statement was always to kind of create, use technology to create the best music possible to basically become as close to robots as they could be to sort of perfect music, which I think is a fascinating concept. Uh, obviously sticks, Mr. Roboto. And then, uh, you know, I think a lot of these robot songs are simple. Are people, you, you know, someone singing from the perspective of a robot if they have that sort of synthesized voice effect over their voice? That's the universal robot, robot sound. 
And I, I honestly don't think robots would talk like that. They would talk like Hal, right? They would talk with whatever voice we program program them to talk with, but probably with a normal human voice. Is Hal the creepiest robot? I don't know about creepiest. He's the he's the scariest robot, I think, just because he's not even he's not even evil. He's just uh, coldly calculating. Yeah, he and he's it's sort of like you get for 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 me. I think the Hal storyline is the one that makes the most sense because it's not like Hal is trying to experience human emotions. Or anything like that. He's, you know, his goal simply is uh, to survive, which I think is, uh, you know, from an existence standpoint, is one of the purest motivations you can have. Something about the 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 standard like like resentment fueled, anger fueled, like responsive robots to take over the earth always seemed false to me. I think that you're hitting on something which seems more natural, which is survival, right? Any if any being achieve sentience ultimately what they're striving for is just to live longer you know i think most people and most robots can agree that um they just want to live and you know i think you know between you know thinking about robots and ai one of the issues is they're 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 going to be able to think a lot more quickly than we can and so things could go from great to hell in a handbasket really quickly (laughs) well you know what Everything's gone to hell in the handbasket anyway, Dave. So, so uh, you know, I was thinking a lot about where robots are now, and I was texting back and forth with you, and you were talking about how your your daughter Marlo was playing with her baby alive. It is a robot for sure. I mean, its sole pu- pu- purpose is to you know imitate our. <laughs> doesn't doesn't it like cry and poop and pee and stuff? It's this is okay. So let me just describe the 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 baby alive. So it starts off as as a tiny baby. And you're supposed to, um, you can actually put it in mom or dad mode. And that doesn't change anything other than whether it says mama or dada. You have to to feed it this fake bottle over and over and over again. And eventually it kicks its little blanket off and its feet flap out. And then you have to keep feeding it. And then eventually it will ask you to like touch its hand and press on its bracelet. And then its legs will like extend. And there's a little robot like machine noise of its legs extending. And then you literally like grab its hair and rip its hair out of its head and it extends its <laughs> hair out and it grows its hair longer. It's very creepy, but my my daughter loves it. Like is now referring to it as her as her sister. So can can you put it back? So like can can you put it back in like infant mode and redo the whole process? You do, yeah. You yeah, its hair retracts and its legs <laughs> retract in and it goes back to infant mode. So you 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 mentioned um, you know, self-driving cars, Alexa, Siri. Um, crazy robot dogs, but yeah, where's the future going to take us? Well, I think I think we're going to see you know specialized robots um, become more and more common. I mean, they've already taken on manufacturing jobs, and we all have some sort of AI in our house, whether it's Alexa or Siri or TV set or something. Um, and then augmentation, so like the transhumanist movement, where people are starting to augment themselves. You know, it's simplest. They'll put a little, a little rare earth magnet in one of their fingers, and it lets them feel electric fields. Um, but people are going a lot further, and uh, you know, actually changing major pieces of their body out with with machines. And you know, there's there's also the people who you know are say missing half their legs and are able to get some sort of you know augmentation there that lets them walk. So the future might not be that we we live the dream of the Jetsons, where we have a robot cleaning our house. Uh, the, our Roomba may not evolve into a 
human-like, you know, companion, but it might be that we, we just get closer to being robots ourselves. That, yeah, yeah. And I think if we do have robots in our house, it's not going to be an anthropomorphic rosy robot who, you know, quips and, and acts like, acts like Alice from the Brady Bunch. It's going to be more like Roombas and things that are specialized uh, to do certain tasks. On this week of uh, momentous political change, I ask you to look towards the future and say, who's going to be our first robot president? <laughs> uh, he'll have the designation 001. It'll, we'll just make it look like like the George Washington robot from the Hall of Presidents at Disneyland. Well, I mean, already, how often do you actually see any of our leaders in person? Whoa. So, you know, we already have the ability to deepfake video. You know, maybe we're already living in the area era where everything is run by robots. And what we see is just, you know, manufactured content to make us think we're still being led by the humans. Are neural networks robots? I mean, they're AI. They're AI. I mean, I think the line between robots and AI is really yeah. blurry. I mean, that kind of gets to the matrix where it becomes all-encompassing. Well, there was a, a story I read by Xi Jin Liu, um, who's a Chinese author, and he wrote The Three-Body Problem, which won a bunch of awards and they're making a Netflix thing out of it or an Amazon thing out of it. Uh, but in the story, there's a bunch of people who decide that things are too crazy. Now we're going to put ourselves in cryo sleep and go to the future. So they do, and they go a hundred years in the future and things still suck. Uh, and they keep repeating this. So someone will wake up and decide, Oh, now's not the time. And they go back to sleep. Well, eventually they get to the point where like the earth has been terraformed into just a solid, uh, a, a solid mass and people are are up, have uploaded all their consciousnesses up into like a virtual network and eventually they come they come out and everybody's disappeared because the uh, the people who remain decided that a collective consciousness was was better and so they fixed the earth put it back the way it was and then went somewhere and you don't find out where wow it kind of makes you wonder where where society is heading, right? Are we are we going to get to the point where in a hundred years where humans aren't humans, or where there's you know tiers of society where some people are more or less human than others? Once you open up that Pandora's box, it takes you places you didn't expect. To, to end on a lighter note, um, I think <laughs> the uh, if you remember Rocky Four, he has he has. <laughs> He has a robot that he uses to babysit his kids, uh, and it's it's amazing. And you know, may, maybe instead of robots sort of changing everything, maybe we just get robot, robot babysitters who who know how to play video games and make grilled cheese. Gets right back to my garlic peeling robot. <laughs> so, Dave, what are we going to talk about next week? Um, I'm kind of in the mood to go luddite. Let's abandon the robots and go go back in time to the Middle Ages. But we're just going to talk about farming, <laughs> farming, and like Dave. Break the top five types of cows from the year 1350. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a hot episode. Well, I will talk to you later, Quarter Pounder with Cheese. All right, Richard Jalapeno. Until next week, this has been a transition from Planet of the Meerkats. Farewell.